Welcome to the Pursuit of Purpose podcast. I'm your host, Melissa K. Barham, and I'm an entrepreneur, traveler, thinker, and creative on a mission to help you discover and lean deeper into your purpose. Here, we'll have inspiring conversations about business, self-development, spirituality, mindset and manifestation, and how to live on purpose. My goal with this podcast is to help you connect with the answers already inside of you and expand your vision of who you truly are and who you're meant to be. I'm so grateful you're here, and I can't wait to set off in the Pursuit of Purpose together. Now let's jump in. Hey guys, welcome back to the Pursuit of Purpose podcast. I'm your host, Melissa Kay, and I'm a purpose and business coach helping people to find their true calling and live it out in real life. Today's episode is one that is so juicy, and I am stoked to be sharing it with you. In today's conversation, I'm joined by none other than Chelsea Rife, a podcast strategist and coach, host of the podcast In My Non-Expert Opinion, which is incredible if you've never heard it yet, along with also being a female solo world traveler extraordinaire. She also happens to be one of my recent coaches, and I'll preface this whole episode already by saying she is one of the smartest powerhouse entrepreneurs and leaders I've ever experienced to date. Chelsea has a way of bringing such a fresh and human and down-to-earth approach to really everything she does. And in this episode, she talks about how we can learn how to tap into and lead with that humanness more and more in our own businesses. We also get into some of the craziest stories from her last year of full-time travel, including an Airbnb situation from hell in Ibiza, living in lockdown in Germany with her boyfriend, and how travel really starts to make you see everything as an opportunity. We touch on what it's like to go back to your former environments, like moving back home with your parents, after you've grown into this new identity while traveling and working, how difficult that can be, and how to balance the former version of you people expect with the new version of you that you've grown into today. Finally, we dig into the rollercoaster ride of growing a business from scratch and how embracing our own suckiness and really willing to be a beginner might just be the key to growing sustainably and bringing back an element of humanness to your business that a lot of business owners seem to have lost. Get ready to be entertained, enlightened, and walk away with more than a few things and tactics you might be able to pivot and apply to your own life. So without further ado, let's dive into today's episode with the incredible Chelsea Rife. Welcome back, everybody, to the Pursuit of Purpose podcast. I'm Melissa Kay, and I have the best interview today for you. I am bringing you Chelsea Rife. I'm so, so, so excited to finally have her on the podcast. She is a former corporate nine to fiver turned podcast queen, now running a business as a podcast coach and mentor and host of her own podcast called In My Non-Expert Opinion, not to mention traveling all over the world as like the ultimate digital travel nomad. So I know you have all the crazy travel stories to boot. So welcome to the show, Chelsea. I'm so, so excited to have you here. Hello. I'm so excited to be on. I feel like we're going to go so many different places and I just can't wait. (laughs) Yeah, it's going to be like pew, pew, pew all over. (laughs) I know. Yeah. I love it. It's, it's the kind of conversation you need sometimes. So, um, yes. so for everyone listening, Chelsea's actually my own podcast coach. So, I mean, I can't rep how she coaches and how she trains m- more, but I've had the privilege of being mentored by her for some time now. And I've actually, I've been in your world since I think when you were in Australia and you were doing mindset, was it mindset manifestation or mindset business coaching? It was mindset and like manifestation type of coaching. 
Right. Yes. Okay. So found Chelsea through mutual friends before, and I just have been hooked on her work ever since, been in her vortex, been in her world, and now get to come full circle and work with her again. So it has been amazing. So Chelsea, for the listeners here that have never heard of you before and your story, can you just take us back through a bit of your story, who you are, how you kind of got to where you are today? Just Cole's Notes version two, because I know your story is like, we'd be here for five episodes too. So... (laughs) Okay, so Cliff Notes version, I grew up in a tiny town called Satellite Beach, Florida. I went to college at Florida State University, and I got my degree in broadcast journalism. I really wanted to be on TV for like E! News or ESPN, and then I found out how competitive that world was. So I got my master's at Loyola Chicago in digital media and storytelling, and it was at that school and that program that prompted me to really dive into different modes of creating, which was podcasting, photography, writing, data analysis. It was just pretty much any way that you could tell a story online or digitally. We learned how to do that in that program. So that started prompting my curiosity into podcasting and media formats, like different ways to to present that weren't just being TV hosts. So that sparked my interest, but I at the time didn't know how to like make a create a creep can't speak, a career out of something creative that I love to do. So I got a job at a content and influencer marketing company. It was basically a software that I sold. So I was a salesperson. So I did that for six years. And it was interesting because what I was selling was what I had just learned in my grad school. And then I I had the job and grad school at the same time. And in grad school, there would be things that I would be learning that I just learned in my job. So they complemented each other really well. And during that experience, in corporate America, I started my podcast called it my non-expert opinion. It was a hobby. I loved doing it. I would interview people on my lunch breaks at the WeWork in Chicago that we worked at. I would record at home. Like I just loved doing it. And then eventually I just got sick and tired of corporate America and I just could not deal with it anymore. So I moved abroad to Australia and then I went to Germany because I met someone in Australia and then I started bopping around a little bit. And the last year I've been traveling and now I do podcast coaching and strategy and I still run my own podcast. So that's kind of the high level version. Yeah. So cool. And I mean, like I, there's so many moments of like those transition periods, which I feel like you could just like sit in and expand of just going through I know for me, whenever I'm like facing some sort of transition like that, whether it's, yeah, you go abroad or am I going to like flip my whole, like how you flipped your whole business from, you know, mindset manifestation over to now podcasting. I feel like there's so many layers into that. And so when you went to Australia, were you already, you weren't already doing your coaching then, were you? No, I went to Australia knowing I wanted to do something with podcasting and I thought I would just go work in a network or some type of like podcast agency and learn behind the scenes and just get connected to that world. And what happened is I ended up getting my yoga teacher training in Bali. And then when I came back, I started running out of savings and I was like, oh my God, I need a job. I'm going to not be able to pay rent. So I worked at a gelato shop. I worked at a yoga studio, not even teaching yoga. After I got my certification, I worked in the office just doing like influencer marketing campaigns for them. And then I also worked as a social media manager for a music agency. And then I nannied for a little bit. At one point I was so broke during the pandemic. I was cleaning houses. Like I was doing anything I could to make money. So I didn't actually start my own business until almost a year of being in Australia. And it was the summer that the pandemic hit. Right. Right. Okay. So just kind of like scrappy, do whatever it takes sort of to, because were you stuck in Australia or you just chose to, to stay there? 
No, I technically was not stuck. There is a visa that if you want to get a second year visa, you have to go do 88 days of work in another part of the country. So I was loving Australia and I'm like, okay, I want to get that, that second year visa. Let me travel to this rural area code to go get that qualification. So I get over there and literally the day that I landed, which was an insane travel day. I know you can relate to travel. It was like a 24 hour bus and then a flight. It was just insanity. Um, I got there and literally walked up to the house where I was staying and they're like, oh, the restaurant just shut down because of the pandemic. So we don't have a job for you. You can nanny our children while we figure out what's going on with the restaurant. But other than that, like we truly have no work for you. So I was in the camp of thinking COVID was going to last two weeks. So I was like, oh, I can do this for two weeks and then just like carry along. And then two weeks turned into two months and so on and so forth. So I actually just was nannying for like three months in Western Australia and living for free in this couple's house that ran the restaurant that I was supposed to work at because they were trying to do to-go orders. So they're like, we need someone to watch our kids while we try to run the restaurant. And it was during all that downtime that I had because they actually had a second nanny where I had all this free time to work on my business. So then the reality of, you know, oh, I, I came to Australia to start something new, like a new venture or a new project. And that was the time where I was like, okay, you could do this. And I got out right before they closed the borders and started doing the really strict lockdown. So yeah, it was like, I think literally a week or two later is when they were like, nope, you can't leave or enter Australia. So I got really lucky with my departure time. So wild. It's crazy how always things like, I feel like with travel, any amount of shit can hit the fan, but like somehow stuff lines up, like just lines up in the weirdest way. And you're like, I don't know how we squeak through. I truly don't because just a quick background story, it's when I had just met my now ex. And so that decision to leave Australia and move to Germany with him was after we had only been dating for barely a month. So it's like when you look at that from a different perspective, like if I were dating someone in, I don't know, Chicago for a month and I'm like, I'm going to move to a foreign country with them. People would be like, you're insane. Let's think this through. You barely know this guy, but there's something about travel relationships and the pressure cooker of living in the same hostel together, plus the pandemic, plus the like, "Ah, I don't want to end this yet. There were so many dynamics. And to your point, it's like we just squeaked by with a very impulsive decision that did end up working out, surprisingly. Yeah, it's it's always so wild how that happens. And like, I'm curious how this has played in or if you would say that this has played into kind of like the outlook that you have now, because what I have found with similar situations like that with travel is like, um, something yeah will just line up at like the the perfect amount of time but also you start to like have this habituated nature to take really wild risks to the you know third party viewer right it's almost like you have like goggles on and you're like these are my digital nomad or like travel by fly by the seat of my pants goggles and everything's everything's fair game that's not weird like that like all the possibilities are available to you And I'm curious, one, if you feel the same way, and then two, if you think that that has had an effect on how you look at like how you do business and everything with that, like all the possibilities are on the table. Oh, well, 100% agree. I think traveling in that way makes you so resourceful because you have to kick into your survival instincts. So you go into that fight or flight mode and you actually really see what you're made of and you're like, okay, the flight's that I want don't exist, or they're out of my budget, or I can't find a job right now, or, um, you know, I don't have the right currency. How am I going to get by? Like, there's so many decisions I've had to make while traveling. And I think that quick decision making and being able to look at, 
you know, the long-term effects of a decision and the short-term effects have only enhanced my business decision-making process or helped it. Um, Mm -hmm. An example I have is right when I launched my mindset business, my mindset coaching, I was doing a masterclass and I was living in a hostel that was loud. And I'm like, where am I supposed to teach this masterclass? Like, I'm going to have to go rent a space. And I was in Byron Bay, so the spaces were actually really expensive. And again, I was broke. I was living off of my refund, my tax refund. And um, the, what's it called? The surplus checks that like America sent out. That's like what I was living off of and my credit card. So I'm like, I can't be like renting an extravagant room. And so I just asked the hostel, is there a private room that no one's rented it? rented yet that I could just use for an hour and teach my masterclass inside. And they're like, actually, sure. Like, I guess there's no one checking in until three. Your masterclass is at noon. Go ahead and use it. And so it's things like that, which, by the way, that masterclass turned into an incredible course enrollment that I'm like, that wouldn't have happened. Did I not have all these experiences before where you kind of just find a side door? I think travelers are good at this. You see a front door, you see a back door, but it's like not a lot of people see the side door or even like a door at the top. And I feel like travelers are like, no, there's another way to do this. There's a third door. I know it exists. I just have to figure it out. And I think that 100% has helped in my business. Yeah, no, I, I, I resonate with that so much because it's like the side door and also the belief to that what kind of in a manifestation way too, like what is meant for you is going to show up anyway. So you just have to have like really far flung faith that's that rhymes um, that, you know, whatever you need, like someone's going to help you out, whether you're like hitchhiking on the side of the road, whether like your shit got lost. Like, I don't know. Have you ever had it where it doesn't play out that way? Like, cause you've traveled even more than I have and all over the place and very like quickly too. So have you ever had it where it like shit hits the fan and it's just an absolute dumpster fire? Like there's <laughs> just no recovery. Oh my gosh, so many. I mean, at the time, the period in Australia was kind of a dumpster fire because again, I did not have my business and I was truly running out of money. And that's when I was like cleaning houses and doing anything I could. I was just desperate to make an income. So that obviously wasn't ideal. That was not on the vision board for Australia. It was like cleaning spider webs off of someone's back porch. Like that was not part of the plan. And there's also a time where my sister and I, it was actually after my breakup, I lived with my ex in Germany and I was like, I need to get out of this apartment and go clear my head and try to like heal a little bit. So I went on this five week Euro trip and my sister came to visit and we were doing the type of travel where you're switching cities every like four to five days. And it was just exhausting. And I remember we got to this Airbnb in Ibiza, I think it was. And it was nothing as advertised. Like the host was hungover, sleeping on the couch. You could tell they just had a party the night before they were, there was like, beer bottles everywhere joints cigarettes like it literally looked like they just had a rager the night before and we checked in it wasn't close to the beach at all i mean it was truly we were like this feels unsafe like i don't know how two girls are gonna sleep in this like party house and (laughs) funny story we were like you know how airbnb has a really strict policy of canceling like especially the day of you, you can't just cancel and get all your money back So we were like, I feel like the only way Airbnb is going to let us get this money back is if it's about a sickness or a death or something that's like a serious life event. Well, not proud of this, but my dad had had a stroke a whole year before, fully recovered from the stroke. He is fine now. He works. He golfs. He plays basketball like he's 100 percent recovered. But we had pictures of him when he was in the hospital. And so we started putting on this emergency 
like act and play of like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. We have to check out of this Airbnb. My dad's in the hospital. And we were showing the hosts, like thinking that he would cancel and have some empathy. And he's like, I'm so sorry. I imagine this is really hard. Like, please go do what you need to do. And in reality, we just checked into a hotel that was closer into the town. And by the way, that did not work. We still had to pay the full price of the Airbnb for the week. Airbnb did not care. The host didn't do anything to fix it. Not like literally we just basically lost a whole week of money, which by the way, Ibiza peak season is not cheap and then pay for a whole new hotel. So not only did we lie, we ended up getting screwed and lost a whole ton of money in the process. One star rating for Airbnb in this case. Holy shit. What? I can't believe that they didn't do anything. Yeah, nothing happened. And it was just really interesting because we thought the host again was going to be more, but the way he acted was like, don't worry, we'll figure this out. We're going to sort this out. And then nothing happened. So yeah, not an amazing experience, absolute dumpster fire. And then of course we were kind of just like in a bad mood after that, by the way, it was still not really pandemic free at the time. So even going out in Ibiza, we were going to places where you couldn't even dance on the dance floor. So you were just sitting at a table on the dance floor and we're like, what is this? Like, this isn't even the Ibiza experience. So yeah, that trip was not fun. My sister actually like refused to travel for like two years after that. And she's like, I don't want to go to Europe. I don't want to do international travel because she was so traumatized just from that whole last minute planning, canceling Airbnbs. It was definitely a dumpster fire of a trip. Yeah. Oh my goodness. I can imagine too. Like you're just so exhausted when, when stuff doesn't turn around, you, you must like hold up the faith. You hold up the faith and you're like, okay, it all is lost now. Like we're taking, we're taking it out on this specific one. Yeah. Um, yeah. I can see how that would be, but you know what? Like the way you guys approach that too, I was like so excited for your story because I was like, oh man, back door. Like <laughs> there's the other door. The back so door just... did not work <laughs> on that one. Hey, you, you, you gave it a shot. I feel like you definitely have to do that. And like the one time out of 10, it won't work. I was fully expecting that to work. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, the good news is that we did find that hotel and it was actually like AC. It had a pool. It wasn't the best hotel on planet earth, but like it fit our budget. You know what I mean? It was closer to town. So I'm like, we did have a silver lining, but by the time we got there, we're just like, what is going on? Like, how did we get here? Yeah. No kidding, man. Well, one question I have for you you too is like when you, you are traveling to all these different cities, you've experienced so many things whether you're there for like a longer period of time or even a shorter period and you know where's one city or or country be it like during all your traveling that you felt really tested and i like i don't know if it was like that trip or um in recent times but either tested like emotionally or just in your trust of how things are going to work out Ooh, i would say this one was actually my longer term stay in germany so when i lived with my ex we really had the cards stacked against us. We were in a very strict lockdown. Germany did actually have one of the strictest lockdowns in Europe where you could only leave to go grocery shopping uh, or go to the post office. Like you could not shop for clothing. You could not sit inside a restaurant. You couldn't just browse a store. Like none of that was happening. So basically our whole relationship, our dates were like walking around the town and going to grocery shopping. And as you can imagine, day after day, week after week, month after month, it's like, I'm losing my actual mind here. Like, I don't know what I'm doing here. Let's now add the fact that I don't speak German. We lived with German roommates and we also lived in a really small town where they didn't, 
they literally don't speak English. It's like that generation of people that didn't learn English. So going out on my own, I would have to have my ex-boyfriend come come with me, like come with me to the post office to talk to them and say, I need to send a package or come with me to the doctor because I don't know how to tell them anything. So that was really hard because not only, again, all these processes, but this is when I also just started my business. So being a new business owner, entrepreneur, we all know what a roller coaster that is. Now add a brand new relationship with someone that you just started dating a few months ago and the pandemic and in a foreign country and the environment itself was just not conducive to where I normally live. I'm very much part of like sunny beach towns. And even if I don't have a beach, it's at least sunny year round or there's palm trees or greenery. And this was like a small fishing village type of town. So it was just very industrial. We had water, but you know, you can only walk around the lake so many times before you're like, I know what this scenery looks like. So that was really testing. And then on top of that, we thought we were obviously going to be together for a long time. So I started applying for my visa there. So I hired a lawyer. I hired a team to help me, which was not cheap. And again, my I just started my business. I didn't make nearly as much money as I do now. I had to borrow money from my boyfriend. We had a split wise where you show your costs of like who owes what. And his was like exponentially. I think at one point I owed him like almost a thousand dollars. And he's like, okay, like, I know you're struggling, but like, we need to figure this out because I can't keep seeing the split wise go up. So that was really hard. And then on top of that, the visa process, which is gruesome. I mean, Europe in general is known for being slow in their paperwork, but Germany is very like bureaucratic and a lot of red tape. So there were so many things that I had to prove. We had to prove our relationship with photos and pictures and evidence that we were actually together. Um, and again, my finances, I had to prove to them, which was, they were very unstable at the time. So there were basically, it's like, if you were to list the pros and cons of living there, it's like, there were just like 20 cons and like three pros. And one of them was my relationship. And I was there for almost a whole entire year. And I totally forgot about this too, because I didn't have my visa yet they were being pretty lenient with how long you could stay in Germany. But then they were like, okay, you need to like reset and go home. Anyone that knows the 90 day like Schengen zone rule. So during the middle of our relationship and the middle of my business, going through all these iterations, I had to go home for three months and live at home with my parents for three months after I had just lived for like six months with my German boyfriend. Living at home is a whole other ball game. And now add that you have a business. I had at that point been traveling for a year and a half. So it's like I had this different identity that like didn't mesh well with being back home. And like you're a different person when you come back home after all that travel. So that was so challenging. And then I had to go back to Germany and they were still in a lockdown. And by the way, I'm from Florida, remember? So Florida had no rules during the pandemic. They were like, everything's open. You can do whatever you want, like no masks. So I went back to Florida and I was in pure shock. I'm like, I was like scared to go to the movies. I'm like, I can't believe we're at the movie theater right now. Like I haven't done this in eight months. So living in that world for three months and then having to go back to a lockdown was insane. And then again, I think at this point I started shifting my business a little bit, or I remember something happened in my business that was just very like destabilizing. And then we did that for probably six more months. And then in July, the end of summer, I was like, okay, the tests have tested me and I am not loving these tests. I need to get out of here. Like it's just, it was taking a toll on everything on my relationship, my work. It just was not an environment conducive to like the lifestyle I want or 
where I even wanted to live long term. And so, yeah, that whole time in Germany was probably the most challenging travel or experience that I've had. That's wild. Like I, I feel just stressed, like thinking about all of that and like the way, especially the part that you're talking about too, of like being so in something like what we were saying again before, before, right? Like when you're traveling, you get in this sort of headspace where like everything on the table, like you're, you become a travel version of you. I mean, we were talking about archetypes earlier, right? You become the travel version of you. And then you have to go back into this environment where like no one knows that version of you. And they just know like our sweet Chelsea, like come here, young daughter. And it's like, you're stuck between two personalities. Did you feel that whiplash? Like, and then even going back. Oh, a hundred percent. I remember I was on a call, like a pretty important one-on-one call or an interview or something. My mom's like knocking on the door, like, sweetie, can you empty the dishwasher? And I'm like, mom, like I'm not 13 anymore living at home. Like I actually am on a very important call or they would just pop their head in like, Hey, we're going to get lunch. Do you need anything? And I'm like, I know this is coming from the sweetest place and I appreciated it, but it's like, they didn't know me as a business owner yet. And they didn't understand, I think the magnitude of like the, what I was going through, right? Like I'm trying to sustain myself financially at this point, when I got into my business, it was a head first thing. I didn't have a side job. I didn't have a backup job. I didn't have a lot of savings. So I'm like, this is not just like an experiment to me like this is my life and that was really hard to adjust to being back home knowing that they viewed me as probably the last time i lived at home which was high school and at that point i think i was 29 or 30. a business owner traveled for a year and a half in a relationship which i hadn't had a relationship for probably five years before that so yeah it's like wait this version of chelsea who's a business owner lives abroad has a boyfriend and runs a podcast is just not who my parents have met yet And so adjusting to that for three months, it's like we finally got to this place where we respected like work boundaries and my dad works from home too. So like he had his workspace, I had my workspace. At one point my sister moved home for a little bit. So she was working from home. So we had to adjust to all of that. And then to your point, going back, the whiplash actually was more of just going straight back into a lockdown of like, Mm -hmm. oh my God, I'm kind of trapped in this apartment again. And we lived with four other roommates maybe even five now i think about it there was one that never came out of his room he just played video games all day (laughs) so i like don't consider him a roommate but we lived with roommates like it's my ex and i never actually had the privacy of living alone as a couple and then like sprinkles on top my roommate was like hey i think i'm gonna get a dog and at this point i was really really scared of dogs especially big dogs because i had two like kind of traumatic experiences when i was younger and then he tells me it's a pit bull i'm like is this a joke from God? Like, what is going on? Like, I already am so uncomfortable in all of this. And now you're telling me not only are we getting a dog, we're bringing a pit bull into this tiny apartment where we have five roommates. Like, that's asinine. And so I told him, I'm not okay with this. Like, I'm not going to live here if this happens. And basically, we came to an agreement where he would keep the dog for a week for a trial because that was my compromise. I was like, let's do a week trial. And he said, if it didn't work out, he would just find another apartment because at that point, my ex and I had, were paying for two rooms in the house. So I was like, okay, let's do this trial. And then actually by the second day, I was in love with this pit bull. Her name was Gloria. She was so cute. She would, she would bark at everyone except me. She would come lay down on me. She would sit next to me while I worked. And I was like, oh my God, I love her. So it was funny because it did feel like a test from the universe of like, what other thing can you handle? And I feel like she was actually a really calming presence because she just chilled, you know, how dogs are. So yeah, that was 
a lot of whiplash. And I think, to be honest, like, again, that's kind of what caused the detriment of my relationship was like, there was so much whiplash and so much uncomfortability in the situation that plus running a business is so hard in and of itself that I was like, I need a moment of like space and to like regroup with myself because I feel very like off center here. Yeah, it, even just how you're describing it, it, just I can see the seven plates spinning and like you almost like feel like you're standing on a ball while juggling seven plates. Like you are unbalanced and all the things you're doing are unbalanced. Um, I'm really curious of like how that caused an effect on the business you were starting because I feel like the early stages of your business are like so fragile isn't the word, but like in a way kind of like that where you really have to be steadfast in, you know, your belief in yourself and what you're doing and who you serve. And like, if your whole environment is off, it just, it makes it so hard to keep that constant. So how did that play for you trying to start out in this new thing? Yeah, I would say something that's interesting that I've been wanting to explore in conversations more with people is that I actually think it was like a privilege to be in a relationship when I started my business because I had a support system. So I always had a soundboard there. I could decompress with him. I, it was like having a verbal processing machine right next to me that I could just dump all my problems. We could talk about it at dinner. And he was very supportive of me and my work. So that truly was a privilege to me. He also would offer me advice. And I remember the way I started organizing my schedule was very much based on his perspective and advice. Plus the financial privilege, right? I think that's something no one really talks about is like when you're in a relationship, especially living with them, there's a huge financial privilege of splitting the rent, splitting groceries, splitting other bills that when you're a solo single gal, like now I take on all those expenses. And so my cost of living has almost just doubled. So in the beginning, the relationship actually helped me a lot in my business because I felt calm because I knew, okay, this month, if I can't pay rent, I know my boyfriend is going to cover it. Let me remind you, we lived with six roommates or five roommates. So our rent was very, 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 very cheap. It wasn't like thousands. I think my rent was like $300 in in Germany, maybe 400. So I was like, okay, if this doesn't go well, he's got this. Um, I know that he's going to support me. I have so much space like in my, in my day to figure this out. And it honestly motivated me to work harder to be like, I'm not going to depend on him financially to cover everything. So I got to get my ass in gear and like really make this work and start studying how you launch something. How do you price something? How do you run a program? Like I was studying as if I was in a a grad school program. Like I was in so many courses, hired so many one-on-one mentors. And that was with the goal of being able to financially support myself. Now I will say later, like, you know, maybe six months, eight months into my business, speaking of podcasting, I was on a huge podcast and all of a sudden I got this influx of one-on-one applications. And I was like, whoa, I was not expecting this at all. And all these people were like, I'm ready to pay in full. Let's start next week. Let's go. And I'm like, whoa, 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 like this is kind of the dream, but I wasn't ready for it. So I didn't have like contracts in place. I didn't have any type of system, zero automations. Some people were Venmoing me. Some people were sending me PayPal. Some people were like, I don't, I live in the islands. Like I don't even have Venmo. So can I wire you a check? And I'm like, what is going on here? Like I'm about to have a breakdown. So that part of like spinning so many plates in the air, plus having this influx of new leads, caused me to find the gaps and the truly like just the parts of my business that weren't working and adjust. So if something like that happened again, I would be ready. Yeah. Almost like in a kind of go through the fire, like, or go through the furnace, like pressure test 
way of your business because I think some people go through it and they sort of wait for the issues to pop up and like you know that aspect of okay I will level up that piece of my business when the time presents itself like the, the dichotomy right you could start at the beginning and get totally bogged down and buried and make every system and make it all professional and but then you never start or you start really really fucking scrappy and then you have to like backtrack so I don't know if you have a perspective on like what you think is more effective. I mean, you have your experience, but I'm curious what you kind of think of the two methods going about that. And also, you know, your experience piled on top of that. Oh yeah. That's a good question because this year actually I hired a business operations strategist and we did an audit of just the softwares I'm using and the processes. And she was like, I think you've like overcomplicated your business a little bit. Like you have so many softwares that you actually don't really need because it's not like my roster is 25 one-on-one clients and like hundreds of on-demand students. It's, I usually take on six to seven clients at a time and mic drop. It used to be a live course that I only ran twice a year. So she's like, I don't know why we're spending so much money and all this stuff. And at the time I thought I needed all that so that I had the foundations And so what we realized was like, this will be helpful when I get to the point where I have 500 clients in in a passive income funnel. And the one-on-one automations will be helpful if I ever decide to take on like 21 one-on-one clients, which I would never do that, by the way. But um, so yeah, I think the business operations strategist really helped me simplify things. And so looking back, what I would say I wish I had in place like starting over and from my experience and this new kind of audit is I would have definitely had some type of onboarding process from start to finish with one-on-one clients so that it wasn't so clunky because it used to be like they emailed me and then I'm emailing back a Calendly and then we're after the Calendly I have to remember to follow up and send them a proposal and then if they say yes I had to like send them a PDF and they would sign it like manually. Like it was just kind of a mess and it took so long. And that was something that we had set up when I did the whole, when I had that influx of applications, I finally set up this like huge onboarding system, but it was almost just too big for what level of business that I had. But I'm like, I don't think that, um, I don't think that takes away from the fact that I should have had some type of onboarding workflow or some type of automation that said, if Melissa sends you, an application, you'll get an email immediately that says she applied. That email will trigger a Calendly link. Like I 100% think I should have had that in place from the beginning and some type of payment um, setup or processor or way to track things because for literally, I think eight months, I was just using a spreadsheet and people were paying me through five different processors. Like I remember I hired an accountant and she was just like, what is going on? Like you have so many like random payments floating around and where does this client come from? And where does she like, it was just a mess. And that's something when you travel, you have more of an international audience. So people that will apply to work with you that are in different countries. And I don't think I had truly thought about that before of like, how am I going to collect Mexican pesos when I'm in Mexico city? And how is that? Like, do I need to price things differently for where I'm at? And um, that was a huge learning curve as well. But Yeah, starting over, I would have simplified things. I would have had very simple automations for onboarding workflows and like offboarding and definitely cleaned up the way people paid me. Mm -hmm. And good insights. I think like 
It's so interesting. And I'm sure that you've probably experienced this too with like following and, you know, looking up to other people in their businesses and their entrepreneurial journeys. It's like, there's so many ways that we are told is better or to do something. And I feel like one, people can only, you only have that insight when you've had the experience than to go like, oh, this was necessary, or I actually had this and it wasn't necessary for me to have to know what works for you. Um, and I know you're like really passionate about designing business that works for you and not just what is written to the status quo. So, you know, with this kind of perspective in mind, I I kind of just want to talk about like how you think of that in terms of starting your business and looking left, right, center at all the you know, the voice is telling you what to do, because I think that's really hard for, you know, new business owners and definitely the listeners here, like a lot of people are aspiring business owners. Um, what kind of perspective or I guess advice around that do you have? Yeah, I feel like every new business owner, entrepreneur gets to have like six to 12 months of a year where they just completely fuck things up. Like call it like year one should be like, this is my fuck shit up year. I am going to get so many things wrong. I am probably going to do things I don't like. I'm probably going to make bad investments. I'll probably hire the wrong people. I probably will manage my time really poorly, which was a lot of my first year experience. I actually took a business mastermind to help me try and understand business a little bit better. And unfortunately, the leader of that mastermind to me was teaching some very unethical sales tactics of like collecting deposits on the phone and pushing people to tell you why they wouldn't sign up with you. And you could just take out a credit card if you want to sign up and very like icky, gross, predatory sales tactics. And I was in this mastermind for six months. So imagine you're already a new business owner and you're thinking this thing is going to be the thing that helps me transform the next level. And unfortunately, it actually made me question a lot of business practices in general. And I was like, do I even want to do this? Like, is this how coaching is? And is this how I want to sell? And it took a lot of separation from that container and deconditioning from those practices to kind of start over and rebuild. And so that's what I'm saying with like my fuck it up year. I was like, that was to me a bad investment. That was a bad, um, a bad six months that I like learned a few great things, but overall I didn't feel like it did anything of what I thought it was going to do. And I spent a lot of money on it when I was broke. So I put it all on a credit card. Um, yeah, it was just like a not, not a good year. Like I was making just really bad decisions. I was hiring like people that were just super cheap and then they would give me bad quality of work. And then I would have to redo all the work again. And, but again, I'm like, I truly think there's this rite of passage for every entrepreneur that is like, you kind of have this fuck it up stage of your business that you're like, it's like a baby learning how to ride a bike. And I know everyone uses that terminology, but it really is. It's like the baby, the toddler's going to fall over 12 times. They're probably going to scratch their elbow. They might even get really hurt. And then finally one day it clicks where you're like, oh, now I can take off the training rails and at least ride down the street. And that's how I started to look at it as like, I don't need to be learning how to ride a bike in the Tour de France. I just need to learn how to ride from point A to point B in my neighborhood. And then when I get to point B, I'll figure out point B to C, so on and so forth. So um, I don't know if that answers your question. I feel like yeah. I'm not <laughs> no, no, like it does. And I feel like it's so authentic to what I know about you and how you do business as well is because, and I think it's really unique because when people are starting out in business and especially if you have not, you don't have a background in business, those that don't, even harder because you feel like I have no expertise. Like all I can do is look to the mentors or anyone else that's in around in the space that I can learn from or, or hope to learn from. 
and then you think like you don't have trust in any of your gut kind of what I should do you're just like oh well they're doing it that way I should do it that way and like the whole like boss babe follow like let's let's do it like that because that's what's popular and I feel like that gets people in really like shitty waters because they've adopted someone's practices for business who have who has had the opportunity to suck at them and test them and they're now in the perfect state of them and you're day one and you're trying to be like the perfect state and you give yourself no leash to mess up no a hundred percent and that's now that you say that that's exactly what the business mastermind that i signed up for was this person had already been doing it for three years and was already charging you know twenty thousand dollars for a mastermind and a one-on-one client and like her prices were really high and i was like wait, I'm just trying to figure out how to convince people to buy like a $100 one-on-one call with me. Like I was freaking out about charging people $100. And I'm like, here's this person again, that's charging thousands of dollars for their work. And she's teaching me as if we're somehow on the same level or I'm just a few steps behind. And I'm like, I'm not a few steps behind. I'm literally in a whole different arena. And again, not only was I behind, it's like the tactics that she was teaching to get there. That was the that was when I like kind of took off my rose colored glasses about lead or following people that just market with their income, because that's what drew me to that mastermind. Because again, new business owners, our goal usually is like, I need to make money. I need to make money. I need to hire people. I need to pay for all these softwares. I want to hire a VA. So my goal was like, you have to make money. And of course, when someone's saying sign up for my mastermind, you can make $10,000 in six months. Of course, my brain is like, what? Like I've never even heard of that money or I've never heard of someone charging $10,000 for a one-on-one client. So of course I bought into it. It's like, oh, this is the lottery ticket that I've been looking for and it's right in front of me. And oh my gosh, I can do it online. Perfect. Like it just seemed like the perfect next step when in reality I've learned again through that process and a few other bad investments, to be honest, that like everyone that leads with their income isn't it's not always what it seems. And it's always not the way that you want to do it. I'm like, I could have followed all her processes and been a probably a millionaire by now, but I'm like, do I want to do it that way? No. Yeah, for sure. It's like the two truths that people, I think starting on business really need to know that no one actually talks about is one, you're going to suck and be happy to suck. Like I have a sticky note that's literally on my, my, on my computer here. And it's like, embrace the suck. Like, do it shitty, do it shitty. And it gets out of that like perfectionism. Like I need to be like them at step 50 already. So like that one. And then also too, that it's not about if you're starting a business because you're like, I want a business to just make money. Like that business won't sustain you. The truth is you need a business that you love. So you should at the beginning pursue finding what you love and what ticks for you and like what you are so, so, you know, good at. Like Again, I guess sort of like the niche thing, but what you care about, what like your purpose is rather than someone just said, I can make money doing this. But we programs like that, right? They kind of almost prey on the fear of new business owners of that, what you just said, like, oh my God, I need to make money or I'm going to die. Yeah. And that's what she did. I mean, I remember being on a phone call. I'll never forget this. Like I was nannying in that, in that house in Australia and I had been looking at this program and I was like, okay, this does seem like a good next step for me. I think I had taken a course on how to launch a course and that was their next thing was like a mastermind. And so I was on the call and I just remember it felt very cold and detached. There was no warmth at all. And it was just like, okay, so are you ready to move forward? And I was like, I need to think about it for a second. I just need to like really sleep on this. And it just turned into like, 
well, you know, where, where are you going to be six months from now if you don't invest? And, you know, think about now, if you just invested and you implemented the tactics, you could be making $50,000 by the end of the six months. And it was very predatory. And like you said, preying on my fear and vulnerability of like, yeah, I, I really need to make money. And of course, these shiny, flashy numbers sound amazing. And I remember handing over my credit card on the phone and I was like, I remember even while I was doing it, I was like, what are you doing? Like, why don't you just hang up? Like, it was just so weird that I felt like I had to give her my credit card information. And then before you know it, I was in it and I did learn the hard way. And I think every business owner learns the hard way. And what you just said about embrace the suck, 100%, I think this is a very undervalued part of entrepreneurship is, have you read Steal Like an Artist by Austin Clone? No, but I'm gonna. It's, oh my God, it's the easiest read. It's like a tiny little book full of pictures and like quotes. But he says something about like, enjoy the obscurity and the time of being a beginner. Because when you work to that point to take off or make it or blow up, it's like, you don't get to go back. So you should use this time as like, yay, no one's really looking. Let me fuck it up, right? Like, let me go ahead and accidentally send an email to my list that is only 40 people instead of 4,000. Oops, I actually forgot to put the link up for the, the masterclass that I've been promoting for five days and it's not even on my website. Like, go ahead and go through all those things so that if you do blow up, you're like, yeah, I've already made all the silly little beginner mistakes and I'm ready for that. And it's like fun to mess up in private where when, again, you blow up, it's like you don't, you're not offered that same empathy. Like when you get to a certain level, people are like, they're not as forgiving, I think. Humans are forgiving, but as we saw during the pandemic, you know, these huge leaders and coaches were called out because people were like, we expect more of you. Like you're a professional now, you've been doing this for 10 years. Like it's, it's, it doesn't seem like um, you're in alignment with your values if you're doing things this way. And so I'm like, guys, enjoy the quiet time right now. Enjoy being a beginner, go mess up, go throw spaghetti at the wall, go play, have fun. Because when you blow up, it's really hard to go back to, to square one. I love everything you're saying there. And I think it's such essence of you and how you do business as well. And like, I think why people resonate with you, why I always have as well. And, you know, we talked about this before, but this aspect that you've held, I think probably from that experience and like from the realizations you've had from that experience of like business or people doing business with people, right? It's not, um, you know, anyone trying to be an idol or like, right? Look up to that. And so I love that you've, even though you're, well, I don't consider you to be at that baby, like throw shit at the wall stage. You might still consider that about your business. I don't just because, you know, my level is like indifferent than yours. Um, when you compare them and I love that you've always maintained that aspect of how do I let myself be human? And how do I also communicate to my students that they are meant to be as well? Is that something you consciously tried to make part of your business or how has that kind of evolved for you? A hundred percent. Because I remember how I felt in that mastermind experience. I was like, I will die if any student of mine ever feels like this after working with me. So I became hellbent on doing pretty much the opposite where I was like, I want people that come into my world to know that they can make something work for them. They do not have to do it one way. They don't need to copy my process. And I think sometimes I used to doubt myself about that process because I'm like, usually when you hire someone, you want direct answers. You want the black and white, like, no, give me the steps, give me the checklist. I want everything laid out A to Z. But I found that when people would do that, 
it wouldn't work. And I'm like, because that's not your system. Like we're, I have a very different lifestyle than a lot of people. So I'm like, you copying my system is, it doesn't even make sense. Like I travel literally every single month. I work digitally online. I have different time zones than a bunch of people. I don't have a dog. I don't have an apartment. I don't have a boyfriend. Like I take into account all those things to build my systems around how I work, where I'm like, obviously when I work with a mom that has two children that has a corporate job that she has to go into the office every day and is it has a partner that she's, you know, trying to maintain a healthy relationship with. It's like, that's a very different model for how she's going to run a podcast or a business. So for me, when I talk to clients, I'm like, let's look at the bigger picture and like, let's literally pull up your schedule. Let's look at where you have free time. What do you want your schedule to look like? And I try to build it around them. And I do think, again, sometimes people still are like, but just give me the answers. And then once we figure out the system that works for them, they're like, oh, wait, I didn't realize it could be A, this easy or B, that it would work for me because we tend to overcomplicate things. We think in order for something to really be successful, it has to be really hard and complicated or else it's not like, quote unquote, worth it. And sometimes I'm like, hey, maybe you should just try this one thing and let's see what happens. And they're like, oh that actually did work. I didn't realize recording on Fridays was actually my, my biggest tweak. Um, and one last thing I'll say on this is, uh, when I work, especially with one-on-one clients, we get like really deep into this work, but I'll ask them to even like track their energy and their cycles and the moon cycles, you know, if they're Mm -hmm. into astrology, like track the transits and like build their life and schedule around that. And that's been really exciting for me because, again, going back to that horrendous mastermind I was in, it was very like, do this, 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 this. You have to have this software to set up your day. You need to hire this pe- these people and do this, this, this. And there was no, it was very masculine, very bro markety. And so I'm like very proud that I've added some humanity into how we do business where I'm like, I'm like, that's a vacation week. Why are we planning any content scheduling on a vacation week? Like, let's block that off. And I think that's something I'm, I'm happy about. And I can see clients start to feel that exhale and sigh of relief of like, oh, I don't have to be this rigid and structured around it. And I can make my business and my podcast and my life actually work for me and not swallow me whole. Yeah. hundred percent. Like it is that transition, which from looking at people who have, who claim to have, I won't say who have, who claim to have the roadmap and then go, boom, you're like, your pot of gold is at the end of this. Just follow like the steps and go down, like go down the road and you will get there. And I feel like so many people then get disappointed when they don't versus you have created this element of, oh, I've had the realization for myself and what, you know, the experience I had and I'm going to I'm not going to be the answer for you. Like, don't follow my roadmap. You actually have your own, like design it how you want to, which I think is so refreshing because when you put power back in like your students' hands, like your clients' hands, which is where it's been all along. Like we think we idolize our teachers, especially in this world and environment far too much when the focus actually should be. And you always say this to like make, you know, your guests the the hero of, of the story, but you make your clients their own hero of their story, which um, I think is really, really powerful. Um, it's kind of like teaching, teaching the the person to fish rather than fishing for them. Um, yes, actually, that's something that I do tell my clients, uh, when I teach them, 
I always say like whether it's six months that we're working together or 12 months I'm like my goal is that you don't have to keep hiring me over and over and over and over again you should be learning this set of skills so that when we're done you have a transferable set of skills that you just refine and then you can come to me when you're ready to refine other skills but like I'm not in the business of like oh we need to be working together for five years because I'm like that doesn't even, that means I'm actually doing a bad job. Like I'm not teaching you skills. I'm teaching you to depend on me. And so that's why when clients act like one-on-one clients, especially will send me their audio files for feedback. I'm like, are you asking for feedback for permission or are you genuinely looking for like constructive storytelling feedback or structural feedback? And I remember one client was like, I think I'm just like looking for permission. Cause she's like, I don't know. I'm really happy with what I recorded. And like, I did really well with the editing and I feel really good about it. And I was like, so why are you asking me for feedback? And she's like, I don't know. I just guess like I, you're my coach and I looked at you for the expert. I was like, but I'm not going to be your coach for the rest of the year or the rest of your life. So we need to figure out how to implement like your own approval process of like, I feel good with this. I don't need anyone's permission or feedback. Um, so that's a really big part of my work now too, is like, why are you asking for feedback? What type of feedback are you looking for? And then I can give you like storytelling critiques. And even then though, I'm very careful when I'm working with people that are just launching because I know the mental gymnastics that we have to go through to even get an episode out. So the last thing I want to do is be like, oh, here's 12 edits and let's fix your storytelling. I'm like, you know what? I know everyone's in that, like embrace the suck when they first start where I'm like, nope let's keep the feedback minimal like if it's unlistenable audio then yes i'll give you that feedback where it's like truly makes no sense then maybe i would give that feedback but my feedback with clients in the early stages is very minimal because i'm like it's so courageous to launch a podcast and put yourself out there and try in public all the time that i'm like i'm not going to rain on your parade when you're trying to build something for the first time with all these new skills so that's something that's yeah it's just really important to me now Mm -hmm. like you let instead of being the person there or the coach that steps in to do everything for, for the client, you're like, I'm going to actually be a coach. Like I will coach you. And I will like, as one does, and if you're in sports, like I'll coach you, I'll tell you how to do it. You have to jump up and hit the volleyball. And if you smack your face on the net, I'll tell you to try it again. Like you're not actually holding them up so that they can hit the ball. Um, exactly. which, which is so important. Cause I think we, if you really care about your clients too, or not, if you care, but like, if you are a coach that does, you almost like, have this urge to just jump in there and like just do it for them because you want them to succeed and that's not helping them succeed it's kind of like parenting no a hundred percent you don't know how many times especially because i've gotten to a phase in my business where i do hire people to just do things for me just because i don't have the bandwidth to do everything and i don't really have the desire to learn but i have that urge to be like oh just send me never mind just send me the file i'll fix the intro and i'm like but then they're never going to learn how to fix the intro and then when we're done working together they're going to be like wait, I just paid all that money to work with Chelsea and I don't even know how to edit my own intro. Like that would be, again, to me, that's a bad coaching experience. So yeah, yeah it's just like sports coaching. <laughs> so one thing in this kind of train of thought that I was curious about is what are you exper- experimenting with the most in your business that's allowed it to feel a lot more like you and a lot more human for you recently? I would say I shifted thinking of Instagram as a marketing platform as to me now that's more like show my personality platform. So I used to get really stressed out about like, I have a launch and I have no graphics for it. Like this is insane. Like, what am I going to do? Like you, you need to have a higher social media manager. You need to have 20 graphics ready to go. You need to go live and just put a lot of pressure on myself. And I just realized like none of my clients come from that. I get all my clients either from my podcast 
from guest speaking on other podcasts or from guest coaching in other people's masterminds or courses. So, but I like to be on Instagram because of my traveling. I meet a lot of people and we stay connected through Instagram. And there's been incredible opportunities where I've just been somewhere like, hey, I'm in Mexico City and someone will be like, oh my gosh, my cousin's there. You have to meet. And all of a sudden now that cousin and I are good friends and we go out to brunch together. So it's like, to me, Instagram has now completely turned into like a networking slash second uh, email inbox where people can DM me slash just showing my personality, my stories. If anyone follows me, they're random. Yesterday, I literally posted about how I almost had an anxiety attack after a post mushroom trip. I talked about how I went to a dance class. And then in the middle of that, I promoted a masterclass that I taught today. And so that's something that I've actually had fun experimenting with to see like, do I really even need to be promoting my business on Instagram? And I'm happy to report I have barely posted on Instagram this year and I've been financially supporting myself just fine. Um, I would also say the second thing I've been experimenting with that feels more like me is just doubling down on podcasting. Um, as I said, I started this podcast in 2017 and it was a full creative hobby and I would just talk about whatever I wanted, whenever I wanted. I didn't have like any type of pillars or schedule or anything. And then when I started my business, it started to become more business focused. And then especially when I shifted gears to podcast coaching, it became a little meta where I was like, wait, I'm a podcast host talking on a podcast about podcasting to drive to my podcast business. Like what just happened? It was like such a mind boggling, like clusterfuck of a situation where I was like, I don't mind talking about podcasting and I could talk about it all day long, but that's never the original reason why I started my podcast to begin with. So lately I just had this kind of internal shift of like, I'm going to double down on podcasting and it will still be a mix of entrepreneurial tips and podcasting and business insights because I know I've helped a lot of people with my content. And I also want to sprinkle in the fun travel stories, the dating stories, all these other things about my life. And I'm, I haven't fully made that shift yet, so we'll see how that experiment goes. But I do have a feeling it'll, if anything, it'll probably just enhance my business because it's giving people more of an insight into who I am. And I probably will lose some listeners, but to me, that's sometimes losing listeners or subscribers or followers is a gift because it's like, then we're not meant to be in each other's world anymore. I think of it as a party. I'm like, if I had a birthday party, I would only want my closest friends and people that I like to be there. If someone didn't like me and they were sitting around cutting cake with me, I'd be like, why are you here? You don't even like me. You don't need to be at my birthday party. So that's the energy I have now. And I'm again, I'm sure there's going to be people that won't like the shift. But me not making that switch is not being true and authentic to myself. Like I can't keep only talking about business and entrepreneurship for the rest of my life. So that's a very fun content experiment that I'm looking forward to. Which I love that you're doing it in a public way too. Like, again, embrace the suck. Like, you're always so open about like, okay, we're going to stumble through trying to do something this way and we'll see if it works. Like, we'll see if it clicks with you guys. And if not, like, cool. Um, and the word that came to mind when, as you were talking through that for me is almost like anti-niche, which I think is like a whole other thing to get into, right? In the world of just business and online presence and everything, right? Because all we're told all the time is like, you need an identifiable niche. You need to be... which takes away, I think, our humanness because we are not one little aspect that fits in a box that, you know, it all fits perfectly together and all parts of the story like led up to that one exact thing. And, you know, our, all of our interests match it. Like we are so, such a kaleidoscope and multidimensional human beings. And 
yeah, I I love that you show that in a public way and like give her permission to that because I think all we are told 24-7 all day long to be successful is niche down, niche down, niche down, niche down, which has its place sometimes in terms of like an offer, but you catch my drift. Yeah, and I think to your point, it's like niching down works or else no one would have talked about it, right? So think of a pizza spot that only sells pizza. It's like you know that as a pizza spot. So when you think of where should I go get pizza, you're going to think of that one pizza spot. You're not going to think of Cheesecake Factory, which has 40,000 things on the menu that wouldn't be your first choice for pizza because it hasn't marketed itself as a pizza joint. It's marketed itself as like we have kind of everything here for you. So I do think there's a place for niching down. It's just I think we took it a little too far and we took it quite literally. We're like, I have to niche down everything, my business, my personality, my content, the way I podcast, the way I speak. And I'm like, I think we just swung the pendulum a little too far where I think if you really just zoom out a little bit, niching is like pick an area of expertise or a skill that you really think you could teach people with. And that's kind of the core of your messaging. But that doesn't mean you need to switch your personality and completely shove yourself into the ground in a box that's like i have to stick within this niche because that's when we start to feel that energy of like i feel boxed in and i can't express myself and i do think that's probably why you and i love podcasting because it's like yeah i have my business as a podcast coach you're a coach as well but we get to talk about stuff like this i've told you a story about how i lied to an airbnb host and we've gone all the way to how i run my business within 55 minutes you know what i mean like you get to experience all of me and you in this long conversation that I don't think other platforms allow for. So even if you have a niche business, you have other ways to express yourself, whether that's a podcast or writing a fun newsletter or a sub stack or writing a book that has nothing to do with like your one skill or area of expertise. Absolutely. And that you, you hit the nail on the head there of like what I was thinking of the niche is too far gone and that it's like niching your personality now, not just like what you offer and how you can help someone or X, Y, Z, whatever your, your business is. It's like we've niched our personalities. And so we're trying to like slice and dice and cut and only show a certain piece of ourselves, um, which I, even if we can't put words to it, I think that we all understand what that feels like in terms of the struggle and pain of sh- trying to show up in the way that, oh, now I I decided I'm going to be this slice, so that's what I got to show, and you sort of like hide everything else away. It makes it really hard to switch into the different kind of characters or, or, or things that you want to play in that are part of you too. And I know like that's something that you've tried and had a lot of fun with in this year is just like switching out the character that you want to be can you talk a little bit to that because it's something that I'm like obsessed with looking into now and kind of the world of archetypes like how can people use that to feel more human feel more like a full-scale person oh my gosh archetypes have helped me so much so basically the gist of an archetype is like picking a video game character that you want to play that day week month year whatever and trying on that character through ways that you dress, ways that you speak, ways that you think, environments you put yourself in. There's so many ways to embody an archetype that don't just have to do with like external looks. So for example, when I have to edit something, that's a very different part of my personality than when I have to coach someone or go record an episode. So when I have to go edit something, I'll literally go to a coffee shop and I have these fake glasses and I'll put them on and I'm like, this is my creative editor, like magazine editor look. And then I'll go into that mode and I'm like, okay, this is what I'm focusing on. And then I'll try that on in my personal life too. Of like, okay, I have these business archetypes. What about personally? Well, I was really trying to work on my health, especially after traveling so much your health starts to take a toll because you're just switching what you eat, the water, the produce, everything just changes. And so 
I was experiencing some health issues and I'm like, I really want to get, I just want to prioritize my health. So I started strength training and I used to be really, really intimidated by strength training and I hated gyms. And I was like, I just feel like I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know how to lift. I'm embarrassed. Like this is just all around, not a good look for me. So I would just always avoid gyms. And I was like, well, what if I tried on the athlete archetype? Because I was an athlete in call or excuse me, in high school. So I was like, just try that person on, like start training every week as if you were an athlete, hire a personal trainer. If you need to go get a new outfit, go get new shoes. If you need to like get the weightlifting gloves, if you need them, like whatever you need to do to step into this athlete archetype. And after a few months, I was like, wow, this is fun. And I started a whole shtick on Instagram about being an athlete. And then it, because it became so fun for me to do it, I, it motivated me even more to keep working out and strength training because people started to get invested into the storyline too. I remember I took a break for like a month and I started posting again and someone's like, thank God you were so close to the gold in the Olympics. Like what happened? And I was like, oh, this is hilarious that that's what I love about the what I was saying, like turning Instagram into showing my personality is like people that probably will never even work with me for podcast coaching are still following me and invested in my journey just because I developed this whole like shtick around an athlete persona and archetype. So it's allowed me a lot of growth because I just started acting as that person, right? I started acting like an athletic person. So I started treating myself like an athlete, eating better food, hiring a health coach, buying different supplements. And now it's like, oh, if I compare my health now to last year, it is wildly different because I tried on that archetype. So I think it's an amazing way and a very fun way to grow personally and professionally by like trying on different characters. Yeah, like literally quantum leaping embodiment to like fast track your way into just like being in that, being in that feeling. 100%. Well, if anyone's struggling with that, like I've tried to adopt it in a few ways and it like feels really, really fun. Do it in like a jokes way as well of like, what if we just like like there's nothing attached to it like no one gives a shit and play with it because it is is very fun um i feel like we could talk the whole episode just on like archetype stuff but um the last question i had for you is you know you've i feel like you've made so many really cool and really intentional pivots with your life with your business um this year and a lot of just like positive experimentation what are you most looking forward to for like the second half of 2023 whether that is with your travels that are upcoming or with your biz or just your life? Like, what are you really stoked about? Ooh, yeah. There's probably three things that come to mind. The first is all the collaborations with podcasting I have coming up. Stuff like this, where I just get to talk to amazing people. I'm going to New York and London. And at first those were just like fun trips and like whatever, I'm going to see friends. And I was like, there are a lot of amazing people in New York and London that I could talk to. So now I'm like turning it almost into a podcast tour where I'm like, let's just interview as many people as you can while you're there. And that's really exciting because I haven't done in-person interviews in such a long time because of just my travel schedule. That's like, I'm just so excited for that. The second thing is I've been thinking about how to shift into this travel content. And I feel like the way I want to present it is a different format. That's going to feel very like Aquarian and new, but like, I almost want to make like an audio magazine instead of like a new podcast or a new, like an audio book or something. It's just going to be like a collection of audio stories. That's kind of like, ma- like a magazine. You like flip through it and you have a different yes. story. So that's something I'm like playing around and experimenting with. And I would say the third thing is I have a writing retreat in Greece in the fall with one of my favorite authors, Kat Marnell. It was a total dream come true. Like I, she, her books are the only things I've ever read in like two days 
and I invested in her Patreon, which was $5 a month. And I don't even read all her articles. I just like to support her because I think she's so incredible. And she just posted about this writing retreat in Greece that you're going to do yoga and eat yummy food and go to the beach. And then I was like, wait, but she's going to be there. So like, can she read our work and will she help us with feedback or is she just kind of there as like a, you know, a retreat goer. And so I asked the retreat leader, you know, what's Kat's role in this retreat? Is she going to edit or read anything? And she goes, Kat is totally down for one-on-one time. If you want her to read anything and edit it, go ahead and bring your work. And I was like, what? Like she's a New York times bestseller. So I was like having my work read basically for free. Like, yes, I'm paying for the retreat, but the retreat doesn't necessarily come on, you know, with one-on-one time from her. So I was like, that is just really freaking cool to be able to be in Greece with my favorite author, looking at my work and giving direct feedback. It almost feels fake to even talk about right now. I'm like, what is happening? So I'm very, very excited for that. It hasn't really hit me because I signed up for it almost a year ago. And now that it's coming, I'm like, oh, that's in just a few months. Like you're meeting your favorite author and she's open to reading your work. Like, I just can't wait for that. So a lot of the things I'm excited about have to do with creating and like new ways of creating. So cool. I, I can't wait to hear that story. So you're gonna have to come back and like, tell us all about that because I know you're trying to experiment right with writing and like your own book and everything like that. So, uh, I'm, I'm stoked to hear all of those stories. Well, for anyone who, you know, is looking for ways to connect with you, who wants to know a little bit about more of your story, everything to you, where can they find you? Where can they connect with you and follow up? Yeah, mostly everything is my first and last name. So my website is chelsearife.com. My Instagram is at chelsearife. My podcast is actually in my non-expert opinion, and you can find that on Apple or Spotify. And if you go check out my website, you'll see that there's ways to work with me one-on-one, or you can take a course to launch a podcast. So if you want to have fun conversations like this, like Melissa and I are having, and be able to talk about whatever you want from crazy travel stories to business advice, podcasting is seriously the best way to do that. So I'm here to help you in whatever way you feel is best. And yeah, you can always email me or DM me. I'm completely open to chatting and I love hearing from people. So slide in my DMs and connect with me and I'm, I'm just happy to connect. And she's not saying that she literally is the best resource if you just have like a wild random question, just hit her up on Instagram. But thank you so, so much for being here, Chelsea. All those links are going to be in the show notes, guys, so you can check them out below. I am so grateful for you coming on the podcast and had so much fun with you today. Thank you. So there you have it. Another incredible guest episode of the Pursuit of Purpose podcast. Chelsea is honestly someone that I could talk to and learn from endlessly. So it was such a pleasure for me to have her come and hang out on the podcast with us all. I really hope that you took away some nuggets from this episode, whether that was how maybe solo travel can help shape your view of the world through good lessons and bad ones, the ways maybe that you can let your personality take the driver's seat in your new business, or even maybe you're taking away the challenge of choosing your own video game character archetype in your own life to embody the next level you, you aspire to be. It's definitely something that I want to bring Chelsea back on the podcast to talk about because she has had so much experimentation and fun results happening from even that exercise on its own. Be sure to keep up with Chelsea and follow all of her incredible work, both in her podcast coaching, as well as on her podcast, both of which are going to be in the show notes below. And as usual, you know where to find me here and on Instagram or email. And this month, guys, if you submit a written review on Apple Podcasts, you'll be entered to win a rapid 20-minute one-to-one coaching session with me. All you have to do is go over to Apple Podcasts, search for The Pursuit of Purpose Podcast, 
find my cover art there, scroll all the way to the very, very bottom, and you'll hit the review section down there. And there's a button that says write a review. So like, I'm honestly going to walk you step by step because sometimes it's not so easy to find. So click that, rate it five stars, write out your review or your thoughts, feedback, whatever it is. And then right before submitting, don't submit yet, before submitting, take a screenshot of your review and send it to me on DM, on Instagram, or to melissakbarham at gmail.com, and you'll be entered into win that giveaway. Make sure to screenshot and send that because Apple can take a really long time to post the reviews, so sometimes I don't see them and I don't want you to miss the giveaway. I will also say that chances are pretty high for you to win since not that many people overall submit reviews for shows, so if you want to jump on grabbing that coaching session, definitely do it. Your chances are going to be pretty good. And if you're not already following or are subscribed to the podcast, make sure you go do that so you never miss an episode. If this episode was something that was helpful for you or you think that there's someone who would really also enjoy this or benefit from this, please, I encourage you to take a screenshot, post it to your stories, tag them, send it to a friend, and tag me at I am Melissa Gay to share and spread the goodness. I love seeing when you guys do this. It just, it's so special to see and truly it helps the podcast grow. And I'm always just so grateful. As always, If you're at a place where you're feeling stuck living a life that doesn't feel exactly like it was meant for you or is fulfilling for what you truly love and want to do, that's exactly what I'm here to help you figure out through my one-on-one coaching. If you know you're meant for more and desire to live in your purpose, in your life, fulfilled and building a business that really feels like it's what you're meant to be doing, or maybe not even building a business, but just reshaping your life to be one that is aligned and fulfilled and just in your calling... I invite you to click on the link in the show notes and let's get on a quick 15 minute call to see if this could be a fit for you and I could help you. I can't wait to connect and help you live out and create the dream life you know you're meant to have living in your fullest and highest version of yourself. All right. Thank you so much for tuning in today, guys. I will see you in the next episode. Bye. Bye.